I got Billy Carson. Forbidden knowledge is finally in the building. This has been a long time coming, my friend. Thank you so much for coming on and, and being here for me. Hey, thanks, man. It's an honor. I'm glad we were finally able to make this happen. I appreciate it, man. Yeah. So, you know, for the one percent that don't know who you are, I yeah. do want to go over, you know, because you had a long, long road that mm -hmm. got you to where you are now yeah. as a successful man, businessman. Mm -hmm. What was the upbringing like yeah. coming from, you know, starting in Queens and going mm -hmm. to Opelika yeah. in Miami, <laughs> you know, uh, yeah. tell them a little bit about your story. Well, you being from down here in mm -hmm. this South Florida area, you know mm -hmm. Opelika, no joke, right? Yep. Especially back in the time frame. But I was born in Queens General Hospital in, the, in New York City. Uh, and my father and my mother they were having some issues and problems with my father's drinking and, and drug addiction. Mm -hmm. um, as a matter of fact, he would take me to bars in the middle of the night. I was only a toddler and put me up on top of the, uh, the countertop and have me reciting all kind of quotes and <laughs> biblical statements, all kind of stuff. <laughs> wow. Probably why I'm not afraid to speak to anybody these days because I've been doing this since I was a little tiny kid. Yeah. And back then you could take a kid to the bar, you know, in the 70s. Uh -huh, uh -huh. And, um, but he, you know, it would cause a lot of fights and arguments and a lot of turmoil in the family. Uh, and then he would go out and don't come back for two, three weeks at a time or whatever. So yeah. they decided, hey, they're going to try to make this work anyway. Mm -hmm. So they decided to move to Florida mm -hmm. to get away from that element. Mm -hmm. So they moved to Opelika. They didn't know, huh? <laughs> I they don't know. Idea. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. From the frying pan into the fire. For sure. Uh, you know, the era of the cocaine cowboys was just what rising. Was what was it? 77. 77. Right. Yeah, 1977. Mm -hmm. And uh, we get down there, man, and it was, uh, you know, right off of Alibaba Avenue. Mm -hmm. I remember the first day that we were down there, he put me in the car and drove around looking for a bar. He found this bar on Alibaba Avenue, 22nd Avenue, <laughs> Alibaba 22nd. And, and um, that's when I saw my first person get killed right there, you know. Uh, yeah. So that was the beginning. It was like, welcome to Miami. Sure, <laughs> like, yeah, like, yeah. like Will Smith, bienvenido, so Miami. <laughs> right? <laughs> so here we go. Yeah. And um, it was just really uh, a tumultuous time. We were really broke, man. Yeah. Like really, really impoverished. We had mm -hmm. no furniture. We had one luggage. Mm -hmm. And I would sit on a box crate on one side, my brother on the other side. Gotcha. And we had these empty ice cream bowls, uh, mm -hmm. ice cream containers from uh, Carvel. Mm -hmm. That was our dinner plates. Right. Wow. And so whatever went in there, we would eat. But most of the time, we had Cairo syrup and toast. Yeah. We would eat uh, matzo crackers, crackers and butter, you know, all this kind of stuff. It was just, it was tough, man. Mm -hmm. um, but when I was seven, I remember all my friends were going to the ice cream truck, and I couldn't go to the ice cream truck because we had no money. Mm -hmm. And I said to myself, there's got to be a way. I mean, how can they afford this every single day? And we're yeah. all in the same neighborhood. So I went in the house and took all my toys, put them mm -hmm. in the same box crate I would sit on for dinner. And I went door to door. I violated my mom's rules because she told me the parameters was this end of the gate to that end of the gate. Don't mm -hmm. leave because mm -hmm. the neighborhood's too dangerous. For sure, yeah. And I was like, bump this. I'm going door to door around the whole block. And I went door to door around the whole block. And I was just asking for donations, a dollar, a quarter, a nickel, a penny, whatever. I just wanted some money for the ice cream truck. So that's what, was it for the ice cream truck? Or was that something that was like ingrained in you that you, it wasn't really just for ice cream? Right? Well, it wasn't for that. It was just. It was, it, was a, it was a compound situation. One is I wanted to go to the ice cream truck to get my bazooka bubble gum and sure. the comic strip, right? Because mm -hmm. I want, back then, no TV, no nothing. The comic strips was like, mm -hmm. you know what I'm saying? True. An escape. But then also, like, you just feel like I was part of something, like I was a normal person. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, I know we're poor, it's struggling, but damn, at least can I just feel like a normal kid. Yeah. And hang out with the normal, be at the truck with the normal kids and talk with the normal kids. And, gotcha. And, you know, and chew my gum while they're eating their ice cream or whatever. Mm -hmm. And so I did it. 
And I had about $13 change by the time I squared one block. Mm. And I remember looking at my, the money in my hands and I was like, wow, I'm gonna be okay. Mm -hmm. And I said it out loud, I said, I'm gonna save myself. Mm -hmm. I knew at that moment, that was my epiphany moment in my life. Mm -hmm. Like literally when it goes back to where did all this really begin for me? Yeah. It was that day, that moment, I realized I was gonna be able to control my own destiny by making decisions and acting on them. Yeah. And then I started applying that same thing to every aspect and every area of my life. Mm -hmm. Fast forward into the future a little bit, 12 years old, well, no, let's go back one step before, that, before I get to 12 because we were living in the ghetto, obviously. Mm -hmm. Uh, then we moved further closer to Liberty City because mm -hmm. they thought that getting, I don't know what my parents' decision-making capabilities were. It's really not, we gotta get you not closer, a good step forward. We gotta yeah. get you to the better, to the better <laughs> area because they're fighting all the time. Yeah, no. And I was like, I don't know. So we went from Opelika to almost in Liberty City. We were like oh, on Biscayne and like 111th Street. Oh, I'm like, prostitutes yeah. everywhere. I'm like, yeah. what is going on it's here? Part of it, yeah. We moved into this quadruplex. We had this one little piece. Mm -hmm. It was so tiny. My brother, my sister, and I slept on a couch bed, and my parents had the little bedroom. Okay. The house, the entire unit wasn't the size of this room that we're sitting in now, this office. Yeah. Just this office. Yeah. And coming home from school, mm -hmm. uh, I would walk home because I would get kicked off the bus for fighting because mm -hmm. people would call me racial slurs. It was part of this really? integration bus program. Really? And so North Miami was predominantly white back then, and uh, they were okay. sending yeah, us 70s, yeah. there in the 70s. Yeah. Yeah. So, now it's this integration thing going on that we, you know, so it would be these fights back and forth. They would stay on the bus. I'd get kicked off the bus for a week, but whatever. I'd walk home and go to the library. I'm in the library. It was actually a blessing. Mm -hmm. On the counter on the front desk was this ballot box from HUD, HUD, the Government Program for Housing, mm -hmm. Housing and Urban, Urban Development Program. Mm -hmm. And you can win 30000 to put down on a, new, on a new house if you qualify. Okay. So I told my mom, I came home, I told my mom, look, I'm gonna walk home from school again tomorrow because I wanna fill out these HUD forms. I need all dad's information. She's like, what? <laughs> <laughs> what do you need? What are we getting into now, right? So I That's get so the information, funny. I go and I fill out all these HUD forms. And I put them in the ballot box. How old are you now? At that time, I think I was 10, yeah, I was 10 years old. At yeah. 10 years old, you yeah. realized this. Yeah. This is crazy, yeah. okay. And then, uh, about, I never forget, two or three months later, this big manila envelope comes in the mail with HUD on the corner. I said, I knew it, we won. <laughs> and then my dad was walking out of the door to that little quadruplex, and I handed it to him. I said, open it up, and he opened it. He jumped so high, he hit his head on the little door frame. <laughs> and uh, that's how we got out of the ghetto. We got to, we, we moved to Miami, New Orleans, a mm -hmm. much nicer area, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. uh, still integrated and mixed at the time. It wasn't mm -hmm. uh, run down, it was kind of in the inter intermediate phase. Sure. Still a much better, nice house, three bedroom, yeah. two bathroom, with a pool in the back. Mm -hmm. WLRN Channel 17 came to the house, did a whole video expose on us for winning the money and everything okay. else to okay. get in the house. And so that's how we got out of the hood because yeah. the $30,000 that we won from that form I filled out. Yeah. Now, I'm getting ready to hit 12 years old. My dad calls me in the room. We, we're there now, keep in mind, the payment on the house was probably about 280 bucks. Mm -hmm. They couldn't afford that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, we had no furniture, we had nothing, we, we, we had no food, we would only get whatever the neighbors would give us or donate gotcha. to us, right? Gotcha. Um, and from time to time, my grandparents would come down and then we would be able to eat like full real meals and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. But my dad calls me in the room and says, you know, from now on, uh, you gotta buy your own school clothes, you gotta pay, get your own school supplies, and um, you know, you gotta pay rent. Gotcha. Yeah, he wanted <laughs> me to pay him 100 bucks a month. 12 years old. 12 years old. So an average kid I think would have crumbled and crushed, but I sure. was like, whatever, I only got two pair of pants anyway. 
what do I have to do? So he hands me the Miami News. I don't know if you remember back then we had yeah. the Herald and the News. The Herald, yeah, yeah. So, I, I don't. I don't remember the news. Yeah. I'm, okay. I'm, I'm a little older. Thirty-four. So. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm a little so older. Sentinel, you know, maybe like. I'm about to be fifty-two next month. Oh, but yeah. so I, I get the uh, Miami news. Okay. Twelve years old, the sixteen-year-old is being hired for door-to-door -door salesman for selling subscriptions. Okay. I take the job. Mm -hmm. All right. The the they call him a coach. He comes and picks you up in a pickup truck, and he mm -hmm. picks up the other three or four kids, mm -hmm. and they go from block to block, and you tell square this block. You go door to door. Mm -hmm. I, I did this when I was a kid, right? Mm -hmm. Selling my toys, yep. knocking on every door, selling subscription services. <laughs> I became the top salesman for that. When my friends were taking their money and blowing it on st stupid stuff, comic books and candy. I was saving my money. Yeah. I bought one thing. I bought a calculator watch from Kmart for nineteen ninety five. Just came out. Why did you buy it? Well, I thought it was pretty cool because it had a digital readout versus mm -hmm. everything else that had the analog. So I'm mm -hmm. noticing, wow, digital readout, and I was like, wow, that's incredible. This is the future, you know. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so um, it was incredible because a week later, I'm sitting in my friend's dad's car, and we're listening to an eight track player, and mm -hmm. we're tuning the radio to try to find a station to listen to. And I told him, you see these digital numbers? That's going to be on the radios one day. Mm -hmm. And he laughed at me and everything. I said, I'm telling you, this is going to be on that. That same day, my mom sent me to the store to get some groceries. And I, I go to the magazine rack, first place I always go. Mm -hmm. This Opportunity Magazine, which is normally way up there, was down in the section where the kids' comic books were. So I grabbed it and I opened it. The first page I opened it to yeah. was Galaxy Electronics, mm -hmm. a company based out of New York City, still in business till this very day. Yeah. And they had the digital car stereos for wholesale. They were like 20 bucks a piece back gotcha, then. Gotcha. I was like, oh man, yeah. I saw it. Yeah. I took all the money I had and I started ordering these digital car stereos from Galaxy Electronics. How did you like know that this was going to be the next wave of the future? This podcast is brought to you by Vivo Barefoot. Now check out VivoBarefoot.com. That's the minimalistic shoe that I've been rocking on all my videos. If you've been watching my Instagram and YouTube, those are the shoes that I've been wearing to help my foot gain full foot functionality, strengthen up the intrinsic muscles of the feet to allow myself to perform better and then also reduce the risk of injury. Now I personally like the Geo Racer Knit and the Primus Light 3. Check them out. Go to Vivo Barefoot foot.com and get the discount code Daru15 to get 15% off your final purchase. All right, now let's get on to the podcast. I don't know. I just felt it. You know, you get these gut feelings about things. Yeah, yeah. And I noticed early on, even before that happened, I would think of things that the, that the future should hold or be uh, technology that should, be, that should exist or systems that should, should exist. And then mm -hmm. two, three years later, they're there. I'm like, damn. So you were seeing the dots, but you were somewhat connecting those dots yeah. as you know as a as a younger kid knowing what's going to happen and then putting yourself in a good position to thrive going forward right being right. being almost like uh, ahead of the curve in a sense yeah well, I, was you are. Curve. I was a futuristic banker from For back sure. then i saw it and i i realized this is where it is this is going to be the future and back then everything was cod cash mm -hmm. on delivery mm -hmm. so you would call the put your order in and then they had no risk. They would sh ship you the order via UPS, and you'd give UPS the cash. Mm. They put it in the envelope, take it back to the factory, and give you your product on the spot. Awesome. And so my first order came in, <laughs> and it was like, boom, here we go. I started selling these to the upperclassmen and the high schools and so forth. Word started getting out. I was competing, competing against like GBT Audio and some of these other audio places that had overhead and employees and insurance and everything else. Mm -hmm. I had none of that. I'm at my house. Mm. So I started beating them. I had people coming from the tri-county area to buy these stereos, and I started doing EQ boosters, subwoofers, amps, 
And I had even had a guy who was at GBT who left to come work for me really? and do installations in my front yard. Wow. So by the time I was 13, I was making more than my parents in yeah, that business. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> With the, so like, when you, how did you get like your inventory? What was that, what was that like? And, and how was that process? You had to be a great salesman. So you started off as a great salesman. Yeah. And that's almost, I, I would say that's a skill that's, that's a talent really mm -hmm. that is given. Yeah. Where did you see, okay, I could take it to the next level with this particular business? Mm -hmm. Well, I saw that the need with the desire for it was there, the need, the want. People mm -hmm. needed this because the A-track, you had to play it in one direction. You couldn't even rewind it. Mm -hmm. Everybody wanted digital radios with cassette decks in them now. And so this was a new, and you could tune to a, a specific station a lot easier, right? Yeah. And you can get more high fidelity. So the need and the want was there. All I do, had to do was provide it to them. Mm -hmm. And so I realized, wow, my prices are so incredible. All I have to do now is keep reinvesting my money back into this mm -hmm. and expanding it. And I expanded it to where, I mean, if you think, imagine at the age of 12, back then, making about three, four grand a week. Damn. You know, now that's gross. That's not net. Yeah, sure. But still, that's yeah, a lot of that's money. That's a lot of money. Yeah, yeah for back especially twelve-year-old too. Is what yeah. we're talking about. <laughs> like what we're yeah. talking about. I know. You know, most kids are not even thinking about that at all. Right. You right. know, I know. I was playing football. That's all I was doing. Right. Right. Being from Florida, I'm surprised you didn't play football. I did. I, my you played a little bit, right? Optimist. I, first day at Dade County Optimist. Yep. I was a quarterback. I got sacked. Okay. My knee dislocated, and I oh, quit. Oh man. <laughs> First play. Damn. And, <laughs> so, you, and by the way, he's he's a big he's a big individual. Like you talk, how tall are you? Six four. Six four. Yeah, yeah. man. So he's you he would have had it. Yeah, we, yeah. We, we could probably try out for the Dolphins man, soon. Now <laughs> you're in shape. At I'm, fifty. Yeah. What do you say? Fifty one. I'll be fifty two in September. Fifty two, man. Yeah. You don't look yeah. fifty two. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. it. Yeah. So all right. So now you got that business going. You mm -hmm. scaled it. Yeah. Uh, what's next? You're, you're you're still in the you're still in your garage or your front? It's a lot yard? of the garage. Yeah. And still hustling on the side because okay. I knew. I can continue to make like, you know, I was telling the, my brother and a few, couple of the kids in the neighborhood, we can make money in the summer too, like mm -hmm. doing what? I said, we're going to cut yards. We don't have no lawnmowers. I said, we don't need lawnmowers. Our neighbors have lawnmowers. We just give them a cut. Hmm. So we, I worked out a deal with the neighbors. We're going to give you 10 bucks for every cut that we do, you know, mm -hmm. and then we keep the rest and we split it up between the three of us and we were doing, we had the edger, we had the lawnmowers, we had everything we needed, you know what I'm saying? So gotcha. we would make, you know, an extra couple hundred bucks a week just doing that. And I would take that money to use it to buy clothes and shoes and things like that. Because okay. okay. literally I, before this happened, mm -hmm. I would take my pants. I had two pairs of pants. Mm -hmm. I would bleach them. And then I would go to Winn-Dixie and get the rich dye for 49 cent, 59 oh, yeah. cent, and I would dye them a different color so kids would stop picking on me. Yeah. I would dye my pants different colors so they thought I had multiple mm -hmm. pants. Yeah. I had one LaCroix Sportif polo. Mm -hmm. I unstitched the alligator and I would restitch it on every shirt every single day. Wow. Just to keep the the you know the nitpicking and the, and the laughing and everything down wow. to a minimum, you know. That's crazy. And uh, and I, I I went from wearing football cleats as my school shoes mm -hmm. because you take my, the cleat off. No, no, they, they were rubber back then. Yeah, yeah. No, so, did you did you like shave them down? They shaved down on their own because of walking on them. <laughs> they were. <laughs> <laughs> I, that's no, listen, they were the, these were the rubber ones from McGregor. Yeah. They had just come out. Ah, uh, okay, okay. And they were okay. five bucks at Kmart. My mom could gotcha. only afford that. That was my school sneakers. Were football cleats. Yeah, that's imagine crazy. going to basketball practice in football cleats. That's what I had to do. Wow. That's why I said they wore down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And sometimes my shoes would wear down until I had holes in them. I would put cardboard inside to keep my feet from touching the ground. Yeah. But once I started making money all that changed they started calling me nike man i had so many pairs of nikes i had 21 pairs of nikes uh -huh. so that th five days a week i can wear a different pair every single day
day to school. Wow. And then I would, when they got like a few months old, I would give them away to kids who didn't have any money or, awesome. or shoes that could fit them. Mm -hmm. And I would buy a whole nother fresh set for myself. So you understood that you needed multiple streams of income yeah. right then and there. How old are you now at this point? 15, 16, something Oh yeah, now, like now, I'm, now I'm in a close 15, 16 range, yeah. Gotcha, so you have two businesses mm -hmm. going, yeah. right? And then from there, what was the process after that? I know getting into your 20s, and you, you sold those, obviously you sold all that, you yeah. got, you're done with that now. Yeah. But um, what did it, what, how was the scaling like? How did that all go? Well, you know, after I got a little bit older, I started realizing, man, there's so much I can do. I actually opened up a body shop, not too far from where we are right now in this oh, yeah. area. Uh, Wait, Pompano or something? Yeah, Pompano. Yeah, yeah in Pompano. We're, you know, they have all those bay doors off of mm -hmm. Pembroke, uh, not Pembroke Pines, but Pembroke Road. Yep. In between Hollandale and Pembroke Road, there's a lot of bays yep. just east of 95, mm -hmm. or just west of 95, actually, I'm sorry. And um, started doing that because uh, I had somebody that I knew. Mm -hmm. Again, jet skiing started getting really big. This mm -hmm. wasn't for cars primarily, it was mostly for jet skis, fiberglass repair. Okay. So I started, started that company, kind of moved into that, shifted into that. And this person who got me on had a lot of contacts with people who were just starting to do competition jet skiing and all these things. Yeah. And wanting to get them custom painted and put stripes on them and all these iridescent colors and so forth. Mm -hmm. So I built that company for a while, actually for about three, three and a half years. Okay. And then I said, okay, you know, I mean, I had people doing the work for me and everything, so I just want to get out of more labor into more sitting at a desk and just thinking all day type sure. stuff. Yeah, yeah. And so I found this company called NAPP out of Houston, which was a discount healthcare company. Mm -hmm. And uh, I signed up to them to, to be a contractor, independent contractor. Mm -hmm. And I started my own healthcare, pro, discount healthcare program where mm -hmm. people can go to, people who didn't have insurance or didn't have money for insurance can still go to the doctor and get a discount off what the price, the normal price would be. Go to the dentist and get a discount. And that did very well. I started mm -hmm. building up a huge residual with that. I started a call center. Mm -hmm. I had about a 5,000 square foot call center not too far away from that same jet ski place and yeah. I started making anywhere between 20 and 30,000 a month doing that. Gotcha. Uh, but what happened, that company ended up having some major financial issues mm -hmm. and it collapsed pretty quickly after I got everything peak rolling. Yeah. So I had to shift again and I was dealing with this company called Classic Roadsters where they would generate TV leads for people who wanted to buy Classic Reproductions and they would give those out to independent marketing companies. Okay. Like 1954 Mercedes, 1966 okay, Shelby okay, Cobras, and things like that. Gotcha. They were coming in boxes, and you can build them into a full-size car kit. Oh wow! And put a tag on them and drive them and okay. everything, and you could even resell them. People were making a lot of money selling those, yeah. and not okay. a lot of people were doing that. Obviously, no, it was yeah. a very small two companies in the entire mm -hmm. United States, yeah. us and somebody else. That's crazy. And I that catapulted me for quite some time. I was averaging 15, 20 grand a week, mm -hmm. uh, and uh, I had two other small marketing clients, but not as big as that one, but I kept those. So I had too many eggs in one basket at this time. Mm -hmm. That company had an issue years later, but the two owners had a big battle, and one owner wired all the money out of the business account and went to Canada. <laughs> <laughs> wow. And what happened was, this is not my second biggest challenge in my life. I kept working, I kept generating sales, kept getting deals, but I wouldn't get paid. Yeah. Eventually everybody started falling off, and then I ended up losing house, car, end up becoming homeless. Wow. Because I mean, I was young, so I was making a lot, but I was spending a lot. I didn't know this. Yeah, I was sleeping on the beach and uh, right off of Sunny Isles. Okay. At a small motel, the guy let me sleep in my car. Sunny right Isles, where is that at again? That's uh, North Miami Beach, North Miami east Beach. all the way to okay. Biscayne, then you go over the little gotcha. bridge, William Lehman Causeway, down to A1A. Okay. I was sleeping in my car, and I was there for about a week, literally eating one burrito a day. 
and I somebody I knew gave me 30 bucks I took 10 for the gas in the car and 20 I went inside the, and, uh, the, the motel and asked the guy to give me 20 bucks and change he gave me 20 bucks and change I opened up the, the payphone the yellow book at the payphone right outside calling right from the payphone calling companies yeah, getting new see. new clients yeah. boom 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 see that's right where your genius comes into play right <laughs> you took because some people would be like i'm just gonna spend that on whatever yeah and not think about getting out of the situation and right. not progressing and pivoting like that yeah you've literally took okay i'm gonna take you know twenty dollars and change and, yeah. and then i'm gonna use that to to figure out what's the next steps to get me out of this situation yeah people need to realize that it, not even look at how low scale that was yeah. that where it took you back to where you you know now yeah. you are yeah people can't even do that on a on a meteor mediocre level i know you know what i mean yeah yeah <laughs> and this goes into like your manifestation and, and your and your thought process because yeah. there's layers to billy by the way <laughs> right we're just talking about the business side we can go a little bit deeper well i don't know if we have enough time here but but go ahead so what happened after that yeah so i, I literally called out of the yellow pages random companies i pitched them I set my own appointments, I went on my appointments, mm -hmm. I sold them. Some of them I got prepayment for the marketing campaigns. These were street marketing campaigns, because remember, internet didn't exist yet. Mm -hmm. We're still in the 90s so. at this point or whatever. So no, no internet. And, um, but that got me off the street, back into a nice apartment, mm -hmm. back into a nice car, uh, and back to building myself again. I learned lessons. I sat down one day and I just meditated on the whole process, what I had gone through in like 10 years. Mm -hmm. And I said, wow. I need to build some level of consistency. I'm able to pivot and I'm able to keep uh, making money. And the recipe is always going to be the same, yeah. no matter what business you get into. However, there's got to be some level of stability. I can't continue to be in a situation where if this one does that and if that one does that, the whole thing falls apart. Yeah. I have to be more in control of my own destiny. Mm -hmm. And so that's when I took more uh, ownership and control over my destiny. And I said from that point, Everything I do is going to be for me. Mm -hmm. It's going to be for things that I personally build, things that I have more control over. Whether it's if it messes up, I can look in the mirror and say it's my fault. So sure. I can't, you know, I can't point the finger at anybody. Mm -hmm. uh, and so that's what I did. So I remember seeing an old Hopi prophecy when I was reading a lot of my books and doing a lot of my research in the early days mm -hmm. about the world being connected by this web, mm -hmm. this worldwide web, where information would travel around the planet instantaneously. And by then, by this time, I had, you know, we talking about the deeper stuff. I had so much knowledge in my head. Yeah. Uh, and I was like, when this happens, if I can be alive when this happens, mm -hmm. my message is going to reach the world. Yep. Fast forward, 1997, I see a commercial on TV, IBM.com. That's all it said. I said, IBM.com, a black screen. What is that? Mm -hmm. I go to the bookstore every two days. So I'm in the bookstore. I go to the front clerk. I said, hey, I saw this commercial, IBM.com. Do you know what that means? Oh, that's this new World Wide Web that's coming out. Mm -hmm. I was like, what? <laughs> yeah, this is a section over there. Blah, blah. I go to that section. I start pulling out books on HTML and the website and mm -hmm. the internet and magazines about it. I'm like, it's here. From that day, I knew my message was going to reach, reach, reach the world. I sure. knew my, I was going to get my message out. People were going to hear my voice. Mm -hmm. I didn't know how long it would take, but that's when, I, that's when I knew. Well, what was that message that you wanted to get out? I wanted to tell people about the power that they have inside of them, the divinity, the divinity that's in them, mm -hmm. the true ancient history, where we came from, how we got to where we are, all the civilizations that have risen and fallen, and why we need to know that so we can continue to, we don't continue to repeat the same situations over and over again, because I see this cycle mm -hmm. happening. And also to just move forward into the future as a better race of people on this planet, to redesign our culture, redesign 
you know, uh, status quo, redesign economic systems, yeah. re redesign geopolitical systems and everything else. I wanted to be a part of that process that helps move mankind toward another golden mm -hmm. age mm -hmm. from the things that I had studied in research. And that was like a main priority for me. Mm -hmm. And so when I saw the dot-com coming in, mm -hmm. my next step was, again, manifestation. Yep. I go home that same day, my neighbor, who was an exchange student from Arabia, mm -hmm. knocks on my door. I go, hey, what's up, Arun? <laughs> He says, hey, I'm, uh, I have to take, I'm an intern, and I have to take a, build a website for a company. I know you have a company. I want to build a website because I need to build a website for interns so I can graduate. <laughs> I said, I was just studying this at the bookstore. <laughs> this is crazy. So we start, we start building a website for my company, mm -hmm. and I'm over his shoulder, mm -hmm. and I'm learning as he's doing it. Mm -hmm. And then three weeks later, he's done with this website. It was a little rinky-dink website. Back then, it was like amazing, right? Yeah. And you know, this is 1997, yeah. almost 98, close to 98, not quite though. He leaves and goes back to Arabia. Mm -hmm. I go, I gotta do this. So I go to uh, Renner Center, and I get a Packard Bell. I call it a Packard from hell. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Two gigabyte hard drive, crashes every few minutes. AOL dial-up, but I start pr practicing this HTML. Mm -hmm. I start learning HTML, ASP, PHP, C+, and Java, all on my own, often just going to the bookstore. And now I'm making website templates. One of my friends comes over, and he owned a mortgage company. He goes, man, how much would you charge me to do one of these? Mm -hmm. That's when all the bells and whistles went off. Ding, 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 ding. Mm -hmm. So I formed .com Marketing Group. Mm -hmm. I went back to my same old technique. Recipe doesn't change. Get the yellow pages out. Back then we still had yellow pages, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I started calling mortgage companies. None of them had websites. I could make one website template, change the colors, change the contact information, and boom, 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 pop yeah. them out like hotcakes. How, lo how long did it take you to make a website? Took you eight hours. Yeah. You know, max. Yeah. How much were you charging at that time? Back then I was charging anywhere between 900 to $1,500, depending okay. on, you know, because it's just service-based, no SKU numbers, no product. Mm -hmm. But by the time I got really into it and marketing myself and going on my own appointments, I was averaging between ten to $12,000 a week, every single week. You know, Man, that's absolutely a lot killing of Killing the game, yeah. yeah. Especially back then? Oh, yeah. You know? Yeah, I mean, 1997, 1998. By 98, it was a multi-million dollar company. Yeah, yeah. And by two, then I expanded into email marketing and I was generating leads. I became the largest mortgage lead supplier in the world. In really? the world, not in the United States, in the world. Nobody can sell as many leads as we were generating. How'd you get into that? Well, just another, just part of the you know, process. creating verticals, right? Yeah. So now these mortgage companies, they want leads to call on. How can, how can people find my website to contact me, fill out the contact form so I can call them back? We started getting an email marketing. This is before the can spam law came out. Mm. You know, Bush put the can spam law in 2004, but prior to that, mm -hmm. it was a free-for-all. We were sending out millions of emails every single day. I had a T3 at my house. <laughs> I had so many POTS lines pulled from the neighborhood I was in, yeah. nobody else in my neighborhood, if they wanted an extra phone line, they couldn't get them, because it gotcha. wasn't fiber optic back then. Yeah, yeah. I had it all coming to my house. Wow. And I was killing it. Making about 30, 40,000 a week, every single week. Some weeks it can be high 70, 80,000 depending on what was going on with some of these mortgage companies. Ameristar, Novastar, Countrywide, Bank of America, SunTrust, uh, uh, AmeriQuest, all these companies, they were all my clients. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And uh, doing very, very well. Mm -hmm. And doing some amazing numbers. Then the CAN-SPAM law came in 2004. What did that actually state? What was, the, what was the issue with that? So Bush said, okay, from this point forward, you can't just send out massive emails anymore. You have to go mm -hmm. through a particular process. People have to opt in. Mm -hmm. 
You have to have a valid United States IP address that you're sending from. Mm -hmm. You have to put your name, your company name, your company address, and a company phone number in the bottom of the email, and have an unsubscribe link that people can actually unsubscribe from your list, and gotcha. so on and so on, to stop yeah. just massive amounts of abuse going on, right? Gotcha. Gotcha. Otherwise, nobody would ever read email again. Yeah. So uh, that was very expensive at that time to do, to switch from going from mass email to like the, the, the legal parameters of doing email mm -hmm. was so expensive you couldn't make a profit. Really? But by then I had over mm -hmm. 4 million leads in my database from email. Mm -hmm. So I took those leads and then I said, hmm, got an idea, I'm gonna send them to a call center. Send them to a call center in India and the Philippines, recall these people in the reverse order mm -hmm. and generate fresh HELOC and fresh refi leads. <laughs> and so I, Perfect. I went up to 100 grand a week. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, I mean basically you had that warm yeah. traffic there built in, yeah, right, which is phenomenal, and yeah. that's like that's a thing where like some people would have just folded, right? You know, they're yeah. like, oh, that's it. It's too easy to fold. It's too easy to just say give up. It's too hard, you know. Yeah, man, that's so crazy. So, all right, we can keep going on, yeah. man, but I definitely want to talk about like, so let's switch gears a little bit, and then I want to come back to it, and then we'll probably have you back on. Yeah, we gotta yeah, do it's it again. too much. Yeah. <laughs> How can one reach a higher level of consciousness? Yeah. Well, you know, the first thing you have to do is realize that the mind connects to higher dimensions. Mm -hmm. So we know now, and I've been saying this for so many years, if you go back to some of my oldest posts, I'm talking about the mind connecting to 11 dimensions because the universe is made of 11 dimensions. Mm -hmm. And um, people were laughing. If you look at those comments on those posts, you're crazy, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. But now, just last year, Official peer-reviewed science, the Brain Institute says now that the mind connects to 11 dimensions. Mm -hmm. What does Michio Kaku say and other theoretical physicists say? That the, the universe is 11 dimensions. Yeah. So we're syncing with this universal consciousness and all these multiple dimensions with our mind. And so to get to these higher states requires things like self-reflection, mm -hmm. meditation, mm -hmm. and even thought experiments. Okay. So. Very, very early on, I was fortunate that I would do thought experiments with myself. I didn't know what meditation was yet or anything like that, but I would tell myself, I wonder if I can send my mind to a cool place because it's too hot right here. Mm. And I would focus on being in Alaska, and I would go into a meditation, And even though I didn't know the word meditation yet. Mm -hmm. And then when I would come out of that thing, that transcendental state, my skin would be cool to the touch. So I realized something powerful had happened. Mm -hmm. So to get to these higher states, it's all about self-reflection. It's going to inner space. Mm -hmm. A lot of people are trying to access ascension and wisdom and uh, become ascended masters and, and rise up consciously just by looking for external things. Sure. Right? If I go to this, if I go to this retreat, if I read this book, if I go see this guy talk, if I go to this re religious center, I'm going to go up. No. Yeah. And you don't go up until you go to inner space. Yeah, I say it all the time. You need that's to have self-reflection. You need to have. You need yeah. to know yourself first. Right. And uh, but that's so true, man. And then you take the things that you've learned, and don't just sit on them. A lot of people now, okay, it's good to go to those things and learn. Mm -hmm. But now, what are you going to do with the knowledge? A lot of people think I've got all this knowledge and I've made it. No, knowledge is not power. The application of knowledge is power. Very true. Until you apply the knowledge, you have zero power. Mm -hmm. I can remember every word in this entire book or this book. Oh, by the way. But if I don't use it. No, by the way. <laughs> by the way. You got to check it out.
two best sellers. Yes, exactly. No, I, and I and actually, obviously, been reading the books too mm -hmm. as well. And the one thing that I can see from you is that you really have put yourself in a position to be successful in no matter si whatever situation that was. Yeah. And then on top of that, you never really folded. Even though you took a step back or mm -hmm. a setback, yeah. there was always a way. And did you know that you were destined for greatness at a young age? Yeah. And every day you probably implemented that into your brain and, yeah. and controlled your own narrative, right? Mm -hmm. Oh, I believed it 100%. Yeah. One of the things, again, with self-reflection is understanding and knowing your true power. Mm -hmm. And I felt my own power. I believed in myself mm -hmm. when nobody believed in me. I remember in third grade, the teacher asked everyone to stand up and say, you know, what you want to do for a living. Mm -hmm. And everyone was standing up, a dentist, a doctor, a, you know, a garbage man, a, a plumber, the usual stuff. Mm -hmm. And I jumped up and said, I want to be famous and be on TV. <laughs> and everybody was kind of silent. Then the teacher just kind of like, Oh, Billy, yeah. you're never going to be famous and be on TV. Look where you look where you come from. You're poor. You're never going to be famous and be on TV. Really said that, huh? And everybody started crazy. laughing at it's me. crazy. And yeah. laughing. I started crying. But I still didn't let that take me down. Even though it hurt me at the, in the moment. Of course. But I said, I want to prove this lady wrong. This lady's going to see me in the future. At some point, if she's alive, she's going to see me on TV. Yep. And uh, I never forget that. And if she's alive now, she probably just see my face a thousand times a day yeah, right now. <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> but again, it's that belief in yourself and mm -hmm. the belief in the power of yourself. And anytime you get yeah. knocked down, to say, no, I'm not going to allow this to keep me down. I'm going to keep getting up. Yeah. It's just like when you're, in a, when you're in that cage, right? You yeah. know? Yeah. If it, you don't keep getting up, you automatically lose. You give in. I mean, when... It, I think life is a fight, you know, and it is. You're, yeah. you're going to get knocked down several times. Just by going through your story, you can people can relate to that. Mm -hmm. The great thing about your story is that, and in anybody's story that has gone through trials and tribulations and has made it out of, the, of yeah. you know, the ghettos and mm -hmm. made it out of, you know, I, I was locked up. I, went, yeah. I was in jail. I, was, I had to do a lot of different things there to get myself out of that position. And, mm -hmm. I think what people don't realize is that there's always a second chance. There's always a way yeah. to just make something better of yourself. Yeah. And so, when you look, when you look, and I got a couple of questions here that I want to make oh, sure yeah, that we please, get to. So the manifestation process. Mm -hmm. when you've recognized opportunities. Yeah. That's one thing that I can see from even getting the twenty dollar bill. Right. Right. <laughs> like that's an opportunity. Yeah. People would be like, oh, I'm just gonna go buy some food. Mm -hmm. You know. Yeah or I'm gonna go buy whatever, mm -hmm. stupid stuff, right? Yeah. What do you do there? What's that process like? Well, the process of manifestation, the first thing is, once I identify what I want to manifest mm -hmm. into my life, whether it be physical or non-physical, whatever that thing is, I then begin to focus on it so intently that I create a beam, I call it a beam, a beam of focused thought mm -hmm. that goes out into the universe and is actually calling it toward me. Okay. I don't chase anything, I attract. Okay. The next thing is I go into my manifestation meditations. Mm -hmm. Now, those won't have to be sitting there in the lotus position or anything like that. I go for these walks on the beach. I go for these five-mile walks. I call them meditation walks. Okay. While I'm walking, I'm playing some nice music that's in the, in the mood that I want to be in. And I'm thinking about what it is I'm trying to manifest. But not as if I want it or I hope that I get it, but that I already have it. Yeah. So if it's a house, I'm mm -hmm. in the house. I'm walking through the house. I'm having a, 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 a party at my house, you know, like a, a house party for the first time and people are coming over and bringing gifts and bottles of wine and things like, things like that, like the one you came to when you came to my house, right? Yep, yep. That whole thing that happened at my house, that, that one you came to, mm -hmm. I had already envisioned that whole scenario in my mind sure. long before that house was even on the market. Wow. See? And so okay. cars, 
same thing I remember uh, you know wanting to get into foreign cars mm -hmm. just because I just like the styling I like the the, the um, the way that they actually operate and ran, they actually, to me, at the time, were much better than American cars. Mm -hmm. And nobody in my neighborhood had one. So I started focusing on foreign cars. I would take pictures of them, I would print pictures of them. Mm -hmm. I would imagine that I was driving them. I would go and test drive these cars. Mm -hmm. I knew exactly what I wanted, the shape, the make, the style, the color, the interior, the wheels, what kind of stereo system. Mm -hmm. I mean, everything about the car. Detailed. Extremely detailed, because I know in the manifestation process, if you are vague mm -hmm. or ambiguous, you're gonna get poor results. Mm. You must be specific. And when you know what you want, the universe knows what you want. How does one person figure out what they want though? Yeah. It, it sounds like a simple question, right? Mm -hmm. But it's very hard, yeah. cause like a lot of people go, I, I want this, but I want this. Mm -hmm. And I, maybe I want that, yeah. but I think I want this. Indecisive people. Indecisive. So you gotta take a piece of paper, an old fashioned piece of paper and a good old fashioned pen, right? Okay. And draw a line down the middle. And begin to write on one side the things that you want, all of them, everything you could think of on top of your brain, off the top of your brain. Now on the right side, let's be more realistic, mm -hmm. okay? Which of these things are more important for me as a specific need right now in my life versus a want? Okay. And start breaking it down by needs. Mm -hmm. And then towards the bottom, put all the wants. Mm -hmm. And then put a priority on these things. Now, what's, this is number one, this should be, no, this one here should be number two, number three. So you get to prioritize what you're gonna be need, what you're trying to manifest based on what you want in the yeah. priority, priority order. And then you go to your wants later. Mm -hmm. Needs are more important than wants, right? Mm -hmm. And so you start focusing that way. And now the things that you're gonna be doing is manifestation meditation. You're going to be uh, making a dream board, putting things up on your dream board. Mm -hmm. When I pray about the things that I want, I don't beg, hope, and plead that they come into existence. I mm -hmm. command that they become part of my life. I mm -hmm. command it. That is my prayer. That's the whole prayer. I command that this thing become a part of my life. I command that the opportunities to, to connect me to being able to achieve my goal come into my life so that I can make this happen. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's the actual prayer. What I just said is the actual prayer. Because I believe the end before the end. I believe the beginning before the beginning. Mm -hmm. And with that kind of mindset, you now begin to really command reality. You begin to create your own reality tunnel and control it. Yeah. Collectively, we all create reality, but sure. individually, we have our own reality tunnels, and we have a lot of control over that, but we relinquish that power to outside sources all day long sure. by giving it up based on fear that we've heard on the news or mm -hmm. poly tricks or whatever. Mm -hmm. Giving it up to religious centers, giving it up to friends and family who, who doubt us or, or who tell us we can't do it. Yeah. Hold that power create your tunnel and begin to see the future of what you want and then begin to put action in steps in place so that you can reach that future. Sure. Our thoughts travel in time and our actions travel in time. If we put the thought and the action together and send it out, mm -hmm. we're going to meet up with that at some point in the future and that's going to be the result at that particular moment in time. Okay. When you're developing an action, right, what is like the main mean qualities and mean things that you're really trying to go after does that yeah. make sense yeah like I'm really looking at like okay I know what I want mm -hmm. I got to put the actions together I got to yeah. put the steps in order yeah. for me to get to that goal mm -hmm. what are, what's that process look like a lot of people give up when the action part comes in because mm -hmm. it's work yeah. <laughs> it's yep. a lot of work you have this beautiful establishment here right Thank and you, you have, thank you by the way uh, this is nice you this ever see his not. house uh, <laughs> not, not like that but <laughs> listen this is nice man I appreciate it thank a you. lot of people don't have even a quarter of what you have here it's yeah, a blessing right and so but to do this took a lot of action mm -hmm. the first step is when you say man I want to have this 
this amazing facility with all these different ancillary benefits to it and all these other things that people can do here and so forth and so on. And I want to have the supplements and this and that. Mm -hmm. And it's like, oh, this is a great idea. It's a grand idea. Huge dreams. Mm -hmm. Okay, now all of a sudden, here comes the work part. Yep. Licenses, insurances, mm -hmm. maybe even bidding on the place, hoping you can even get the rent. Finding out if you can afford the, 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 the cost of the facility. How can I get this? How can I? If this person doesn't move out, then I can't connect this building to that building. And all these things that come into play, right? Yeah, yeah. And then, of course, the investment part of what you need to be able to, to, to put into this facility to make people even show up. The marketing, this and that. All these things are all the things that take a lot of energy and action. Yep. A lot of people go, man, that's just too much. I can't. That's just too much. I don't want to yeah. do it. Yeah. It's too much. True. So they give up. They give up on their dream because they don't want to put themselves at risk. They don't want to take the risk. They don't want to put themselves in jeopardy. They don't want to invest. They don't want to do, take the time to do the, 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 the mundane things to make it happen. Mm -hmm. So you have to be willing to see past all of that and see the future of what the outcome is going to be. Is that laziness or is that fear of success or failure? It's a couple things. It's fear of success and failure. Mm -hmm. It's self-sabotaging mentality. Mm -hmm. You're self-sabotaging your own self. And it's also uh, a fear. It's a fear of uh, loss. It's a fear of the unknown. Sure. You know, it's a risk. You're jumping yeah. off of a cliff. You don't know if your wings are going to spread, if you're going to fly or not. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. so much of being an entrepreneur is about that, but also anything in life that you're trying to, to, to manifest, it's going to take a certain level of you getting outside of your comfort zone Absolutely. to put the energy and the action steps in. Absolutely. And so once you analyze what it is that you're trying to uh, manifest, and you begin now, the conscious thought is out, you begin to write down all the steps it's gonna to take to make this happen, mm -hmm. a person has to sit down and digest that and say, am I willing to really go through all of this to make this happen? Yeah. And if the answer is yes, they need to go to work, go to work immediately and believe in yourself. A mm -hmm. lot of people, when they see that list or, or meditate on what it's gonna to take to make it happen, mm -hmm. again, they give up because you know what, I'm in my comfort zone, I'm in a little box. Yeah. I'm struggling or this and that, I, I got this car that's breaking down every two weeks and mm -hmm. you know, and, and so and so will take me to work if I need be and, you know, that kind of mindset, but that's not an abundance mindset. We talked about um, self-awareness, mm -hmm. right? And I think that starts with that. Everything kind of starts with that mm -hmm. because once you understand your, your, your talents that you've been given, and then you can go, okay, I can acquire skills that are based off the talent, mm -hmm. right? And then from there, I can work and put my work ethic into that. Yeah. For you, I think, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, your intelligence level is through the roof. Am I wrong? You're pretty smart. I, I know a few things. Yeah. <laughs> and you're I'm and, and, to remember and, a lot. Yes, what I'm saying. So your retention is high. Yeah, yeah. A lot of people don't have that. Right. So they have to put in the work, like the mm -hmm. diligent, like yeah. manual labor. Mm -hmm. Is there ways to make that happen too as well if you don't have, let's say, a Billy Carson IQ level? <laughs> <laughs> I think, you know, my blessing is retention. Sure. So a lot of a lot of learning is how much can you remember sure yeah, but yeah, people yeah. can definitely achieve more retention by doing several exercises that's right nick okay <laughs> one exercise that i do is you use your left hand and your right hand a lot left leg right leg a lot mm -hmm. so simple brushing things. teeth with the opposite on brushing teeth yeah. with the opposite hand riding with the opposite hand mm -hmm. i'll go in the gym i have videos of me shooting the basketball from three deep three left-handed mm -hmm. deep mm -hmm. three right-handed Attacking the rim, left hand layup, right hand layup, right? Left hand tennis, right hand tennis, table tennis even. Table tennis is highly recommended by Dr. Daniel Amen. Okay. Uh, num the number one world's number one psychiatrist. Mm -hmm. um, uh, a lot of left hand, right hand. Golfing right clubs, golfing left clubs. Mm, that's tough. Bowling right hand, bowling left hand. Okay. All this is building stronger neural, neural pathways between the hemispheres. You're, syn you're synchronizing your hemispheres, right? Mm -hmm. It's called hemisync. The CIA studied this. Mm -hmm. 
The other thing is listening to uh, different types of music also can get you into the zone. We're talking about now, we talked about earlier, right? 432 hertz, yep. 528 hertz frequencies. Mm -hmm. Those frequencies also help to make stronger binding connections within the mind and the two different hemispheres, mm -hmm. as well as they actually heal and repair DNA. Mm -hmm. This has been studied in laboratories. Yep. So 440 hertz is primarily the most widely known frequency in music mm -hmm. that destroys DNA. This is why they have 440 going out. 440 mm -hmm. is deadly. Wow. 432 is on the resonance frequency of the earth. Mm -hmm. 528 is on the resonance frequency of love. Mm -hmm. And there's even higher frequencies that are great for you as well. Mm -hmm. But when you get into binaural beats, listening to binaural beats and 432 hertz, mm -hmm. during some of these activities, all of a sudden, you're now creating this higher retention that an average person would need. Mm -hmm. Another exercise that I do is I would listen to an audio book mm -hmm. and read a physical book at the same time, two different books. Wow. At first when I started doing it. I was gonna, it, I was gonna say, yeah. read and listen at the same time. <laughs> two different books. Okay, okay. So how, how it just happened was when I was a kid, I was listening on my little tiny cassette deck. You know, remember we used the big giant cassette decks and you had to pop the thing up and put the cassette in. Yep. I was playing, um, I used to put it next to I the radio. I don't, Billy, but okay, but okay. Right, well, it's all right, baby. Well, you know what Listen, I, mean. I get it. I used to put it next to the radio. My mom had a little tune radio. I used to put it next to the radio, right, and I would record the songs okay. in low D <laughs> to the cassette deck. Mm -hmm. Then I could play them in my room, right? Yep. On the little one speaker, mono. Uh, and then, but while I was listening to the music, I was singing it or rapping it, mm -hmm. and then I was doing my homework. And I was like, wow, I can do both things at once. Mm. I was like, wow, I wonder if there's a way that I can do this while I'm sleeping. So then I would play, uh, I would talk to the cassette tape and I would record myself saying things and I would listen even to it at night and I would realize in the morning I had more information in my brain. Okay. So when the audio books came out, I was like, oh man. Mm -hmm. I went back to those old memories as a kid and I said, let me try this. So I listened to an audio book and I get a physical book and at first it was only like maybe 40% retention. Mm -hmm. Then it grew, because I'm practicing now. I'm, the brain is like a muscle. Like we come in here to your facility to work out and train, you get stronger yeah. and stronger, right? Yeah. Now I'm growing 55, 60, 70, 80, wow. you know? I got it right, right about now, but 85% retention by using that same method. By just, and that, that allowed me to literally download into my brain thousands of books over the years yeah and so uh but again it's exercise i'm exercising my muscle i'm mm -hmm. always finding ways to to create thought uh you know thought experiments or think in different ways mm -hmm. so that my brain doesn't get stagnant yeah and a lot of people they're not doing that so uh even unfortunately even as a kid they're they're taught just to memorize answers gotcha and if whoever can memorize the answer the best gets the better grades mm -hmm. but you're never mm -hmm. taught to solve problems yep I like to solve problems, and that also exercises my brain. Mm -hmm. Talk about numbers and the power of numbers. Oh, numbers, man. Numbers are powerful. First of all, mathematics is the language of God. Mm -hmm. If you want to know what language God speaks, mm -hmm. God speaks the language of mathematics. If I want to communicate with an alien race from 20 million light years away, mm -hmm. I would send them math. Mm -hmm. That's what I would send them. I wouldn't send them, hey, hello, I'm Billy, and da-da-da-da, I'm from Earth. I'll send them that, but I'll send them in a mathematical formula. Okay. Because if they are, have advanced far enough to where they can communicate back, mm -hmm. they're gonna learn, they're gonna understand my math. Sure. Which is what we do today. We transmit information through the hydrogen frequency into space every single day from satellites, and we send them mathematical codes. Okay. Okay, so the math is an integral part of everything. The Fibonacci sequence. That's what I'm gonna talk about. Pi, phi, you know, these spirals that exist, are even uh, can even be found in the human body. Mm -hmm. The distance from the eyes 
to the nose and the mm -hmm. eyes, between the nose to the ears and the ears on the face, mm -hmm. the distance from the elbow to the wrist and the wrist to the tip of the finger, even the digits in between can all be calculated by pi, phi, and Fibonacci. There's a, there's a similarity between that and then also everything that Da Vinci has put out there. Is that correct? With even yeah. like the Vitruvian Man too mm -hmm. as well. There's, there's yeah. different like regions and, and mm -hmm. mathematical formulas inside of his work. Yeah. It, it, did that, did you ever come across that? Did you ever like study so that? Oh yeah, the Da Vinci, yeah. the Vitruvian Man is huge. Yeah. I mean, there's so much embedded into that thing. Yeah. I mean, you can literally make a whole podcast just on a Vitruvian. It's so funny. That was my first logo. <laughs> yeah. The Vitruvian man. Oh, yeah. man. That's powerful. Yeah. It symbolizes the pyramid. It symbolizes the star tetrahedron, mm -hmm. which is two pyramids in opposite directions spinning counterclockwise, mm -hmm. which is what the ancient Egyptians called the Merkaba. Mm -hmm. uh, it symbolizes the planet itself, but also not only the planet, but spheres in general, understanding how spheres permeate the entire universe. It signifies the the formation of man as a as a as a human on this planet. Mm -hmm. There's so much encoded into the Vitruvian man mathematically. You can calculate the distance from the Earth to the Moon, the mm -hmm. distance from the Earth to the Sun, the speed of the Earth on its own axis, the speed yeah. of the Earth around the Sun, and the speed of the Sun around the galactic equator, mm -hmm. the super supermassive black hole at the center of our of our galaxy, mm -hmm. and all that's encoded into the Vitruvian man. Would you say Da Vinci was a like the ultimate polymath? Mm. Right. Oh yeah. Like Renaissance man and sent like yeah. from what was it? He he knew about things kind of like yourself. He knew about things before they even Listen, you know, were this even guy was inventing tanks back then. Yeah. I mean before motors existed. Yeah, he airplanes, had tanks, airplanes, everything. Yeah. He was really a futuristic thinker. Mm -hmm. He was a polymath. Mm -hmm. He understood how to how to uh, encrypt and encode mathematic information for the future for when we arrive to be mm -hmm. able to decode it and know what he was doing because the people at the time would have just killed him in yeah. some cases. Yeah. It's just a witchcraft, it's magic, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. But this man was an absolute genius. Yeah. He, was, he was long before his time. And then, long ahead of his time. And then you look at some of the, the Arabs that began to study his work. Mm -hmm. And then scientists recently, anthropologists began to study these Arabs and how far they had advanced based off of his work and they realized that we should have been on the moon in the 1800s if it wasn't for the papal inquisitions and <laughs> religion being spread around the planet. Unbelievable. Uh, that's what slowed the process considerably. Mm -hmm. We lost 200 years from that. That's crazy. Yeah. I want to dive into ancient civilization. Mm -hmm. yeah. All right. Go as deep as you want to go yeah. with the time we have. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, ancient Samaria. What's ancient so Samaria. significant about that? Ancient Samaria is so significant because it's one of the places where we have the most records that are available to read. Mm -hmm. I know just the other day an AI software just decoded 5,000 more tablets in like a few minutes. Wow. <laughs> Those 5,000 tablets would have took an average person, I don't know, four or five years. Yeah. Maybe more yeah. with a group with a team working on them. Mm -hmm. But All um, in cuneiform, right? All cuneiform, cuneiform, right. We're talking about Sumerian cuneiform tablets. We're talking about uh, clay. Mm -hmm. that is wet and then a stylus is pressed in to make these letters right and then these with a wedge and then they're they're baked or they just dry and become stone <clears throat> so we're looking at stone records as close as we can get to the original story mm -hmm. and when you look at these stories you begin to go wait a minute these stories are the same stories i see in the quran and the bible and hindu texts and all what happened here how come these stories 
are in all these other uh, texts. And it's older. It's way older, thousands of years older. Matter mm -hmm. of fact, mainstream says 6,000 years old, but those are copied tablets from older tablets. And we know this now because we found some of the older tablets that have been dated back even further back than that. Mm -hmm. And they go back up to 400,000 years. Who's dating these things back? Well, the mainstream, mainstream archaeologists, they yeah. want to keep that 6,000 year window because that's mm -hmm. what all religion is based off of. Matter of fact, most dogmatic uh, Christians believe that the earth is only 6,000 years old. Mm -hmm. right? But that comes from the tablets being 6,000 years old. That's, mm -hmm. where the, that's where it stems from. But they're not 6,000 years old because they keep finding more and more tablets that are even older and older and then been copied over and over again. We know that they go back over 400,000 years mm -hmm. and that the story is so grand and so great. Everything that's in the Old Testament is coming from the Sumerian tablets. Mm -hmm. We're talking about the Epic of Gilgamesh, which is a true story of Noah. Yep. We're talking about um, uh, Genesis, mm -hmm. right? That's all in the Sumerian cuneiform tablets. Uh, even Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve, of mm -hmm. course. So Adam is in there, even in the myth of Adapa and some of these other texts and cylinder scrolls we're talking about the fact that they had already had people on this planet. There were people here already. Mm -hmm. Adam and Eve were not the first people. Mm -hmm. They were the first genetically modified people that can reproduce in a way that they saw fit to mm -hmm. create a population of slaves on the planet. Mm -hmm. And when you look into the records... Slaves for who? Slaves for the Anunnaki. There we go. So these people that the Sumerians were writing about, they were called the Anunnaki. Mm -hmm. That's like saying Earthling for us if we went to another planet, right? Mm -hmm. they, were, they were just beings and race from space. Mm -hmm. But they built an Atlantean civilization on Earth. They were the Atlanteans. Mm -hmm. The civilization was Atlantean, the people's race were Anunnaki, it means they came from heaven to earth. In Atlantis, is that where they were, like, in that region, you know what I'm saying, in Egypt? Yeah, there? so it was, uh, it actually started off, according to the tablets, out there in Mesopotamia, which is modern-day Iraq. So, so we're talking about the cradle of civilization not coming out of, uh, uh, out of Egypt, mm. coming out of actually Iraq. Wow. And so remember, there were no lines, you know, right? We have these imaginary border lines that mm -hmm. say, oh, this is Africa here, and this is the Middle East here. So those lines didn't really exist. Yeah. Like, we don't know. They, they're in the same vicinity. Mm -hmm. And those people in that vicinity, in that region, recorded the, these people appearing and coming here and engaging mankind. Uh, they began in this cloning where they were actually literally taking people and cloning them and trying to get them to mate, but they weren't able to have kids. That's like we take a lion and a tiger and make them no babies, right? You can make one, but you can, that one can't make more. Okay. That was yeah. a problem. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're like, we need a workforce. What are we going to do? These other people called the Ejiji Anunnaki, they were tired of doing all the labor. They were, they were creating a breakaway civilization on this planet according to the tablets, not according to me. Mm -hmm. This isn't some fantastical story I'm coming up with off my top of my head. Yeah. I'm talking about ancient tablets that exist that are in actual museums right now that people can go look at and read. Um, and so they said that these beings came here and said, okay, look, we're doing a lot of work. We're tired of doing all this labor and work. Mm -hmm. We're going to go to battle against you guys, the leaders, talking about the leaders, Enki, Anu, and Enlil. Mm -hmm. they, these guys wanted to go to war against them because they wouldn't find a way to take off the load, the load of work. They were like, this is hard work. We're building a civilization on Earth and on Mars at the same time, mm -hmm. according to the tablets. And plus, they said, we don't have any women. <laughs> that was that. a big problem. Yeah, you need that. <laughs> right, you need the women, right? And so they were pissed. So this is where in the Bible says the sons of God uh, you know, uh, went against the sons of God went against him and fell from heaven. They came from Mars down to Earth. In the Atrahasis epic, they get they encircled the camp and they get ready to go to war in South Africa at Adam's calendar, okay. which they found that location. Now it's a historical location. The gold mines are there. Two hundred thousand year old gold mines. Where's this at again? Adam's calendar in South Africa. South Africa. Okay. And so now, 
They say, look, we have an idea. An Anki says, I have an idea. There's an existing being on this planet. Mm -hmm. See, we were already here. Okay. Let's add our essence to it and get it to bear the load. See, this is where it gets, this is where it gets deep. Because we're already here, yeah. how do we get here? Right. You see what I mean? See, we were cut. it was our cousins. They weren't homo sapiens sapien yet. Mm -hmm. Now, remember, we have junk DNA mm -hmm. that was disconnected on purpose. Mm -hmm. We have much smaller skulls now, smaller jaws. That was done through this genetic modification. Our pineal glands are small now. They used mm -hmm. to be massive. Our brain cases were bigger. Our brains were bigger. Our cousins, they try to say, our, the, back then we were dumber. No. Mm. We were more intelligent. Hmm. Spiritually, not technologically. Okay. And so now they come in, they, they alter the DNA. They, uh, they reprogram us. They add their DNA, DNA to our DNA. They then masquerade as gods, mm -hmm. get us to do the work for them, and in return, they would, we would give them our first offerings and sacrifice this stuff, you know, these cattle to them. That was their food, man. <laughs> That's how they ate. They weren't going hunting. Yeah. And when you go to Egypt, you learn this. They tell you right on your tours, like, oh, yeah, that people will come with their offerings. And they had these storehouses back here. This is how everybody ate. You know, it was like, mm -hmm. hey, man, bring us your food so we can give you a prayer. Yeah. It was a scam. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One of the oldest scams on record. Mm -hmm. uh, but these beings literally uh, had human beings build and do the hard labor as they were the master architects to build this Atlantean civilization on Earth. Atlantis wasn't a ring city only. That was just one capital of many. The entire planet was Atlantis. We're standing on Atlantis right now. Okay. Atlantis had many capitals on Earth, mm -hmm. and you can find, about, find out about this on in the Emerald Tablets of Thoth, my book, mm -hmm. where after he rebuilds the land of Kem after the Great Flood, mm -hmm. he tells his team to go around the planet and redo what we did here. Mm -hmm. They went around the entire planet rebuilding the Atlantean civilization. Let's talk a little bit about the book too, because, and and you know, it, this is this goes deeper than, yeah. than a lot of people may understand, and mm -hmm. you know, with with Thoth, let's let's talk a little bit about that yeah. and uh, the relation that you have with Jesus Christ, yeah, in that particular way. Right. Um, it even says it here, you know, compared to Thoth's ancient wisdom mm -hmm. with popular teaching from figures such as Yeshua, yeah, which is Jesus, Jesus, right. So when I started reading the Emerald Tablets of Thoth the original writings that he left behind 36,000 years ago, mm -hmm. I started seeing a lot of similarities between biblical scripture because when I was a kid, my dad would make me do book reports on the Bible. Mm -hmm. Two, three years old, I'm doing book reports <laughs> on the Bible. I've been through the Bible hundreds of times now by this point, uh, which is, was a benefit for me because I've been through it inside and I can remember all the information in there. And mm -hmm. so I started seeing similarities in what this guy is saying. Mm -hmm. Now, Thoth is an Atlantean, he calls himself an Atlantean priest king. Mm -hmm. He ruled over the land of Kemet before it was called Egypt for 16,000 years, one man. According to the ancient Egyptians, not according to Billy Carson. Mm -hmm. That's their records, not mine. And so this guy was a powerful guy. He was known as Thoth, T-H-O-T-H, but the word thought comes from his name. Hmm. Not the ghetto thought, <laughs> the real thought. This is it, don't think. Yeah, let's, let's, let's he got, that, got, that got hijacked yeah. into. Why, did, why is that? You know They always that. hijack everything. ISIS, the yeah. goddess ISIS, yeah. now she became a terrorist group in, in Iraq. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, <laughs> Just, yeah. it's crazy. You know, and the powers that be know how to manipulate. They know how to turn words. They know the power of words and speaking. They know how to change things up yeah. to alter consciousness. But this guy, what's interesting about him is um, his tablet talks about the flood wars are receding. Another record of the Great Flood. The oldest record of actually the Great Flood. Mm -hmm. And the temples are coming back up out of the mud. Mm -hmm. And his dad tells him, go back to the land of Kem and rebuild civilization. And this was Anu? What's his, how, uh, Enki was Enki his father. Was Enki. Right. Okay. So Enki sends him to the land of Kem. Now here's mm -hmm. what's interesting. In the tablets he says, 
So we went into the great ship of the master. Now you think he's going to sail out in the ocean. He goes, upward we rose into the morning. Hmm. Upward we rose into the sky. Till the planet disappeared. Hmm. This is not sailing out on the ocean. We're talking about sailing up into the atmosphere. Hmm. Until a time appointed, we then saw the great temple beneath us hmm. coming up out of the mud. And we saw the barbarians. So we descended. So that means they're coming down. Hmm. They're coming down. When they land this ship... These barbarians, these people in the land of Kim, they had always descended all the way back into a barbaric lifestyle because who knows how much time or what technology they lost. They come to attack him and his crew. Mm -hmm. He raises his staff and he sends out a ray of vibration like some type of a stun gun and freezes them and stops them still in their, in their tracks. Mm -hmm. So I talk in the book about the correlation between that technology and the active denial system that we have in the military that does the same exact thing. It can stop people in their tracks, just setting a frequency beam at people. Mm -hmm. It make, make you feel like you're on fire, make you want to vomit, make you, put you in pain, put voices in your head. Mm -hmm. He had the same technology 36,000 years ago. He releases them and ta starts talking to them about Peace. Uh, he says, I'm a son of Atlantis. I'm here to rebuild your civilization to a high level. So they begin to rebuild civilization. Mm -hmm. So this guy then goes around teaching chemistry, chem, mm -hmm. that's where the land of chem comes from, and alchemy, mm -hmm. as well as many languages and other higher levels of thought and consciousness. Mm -hmm. And the words here that he wrote are extremely similar to the words of Jesus. Now, Jesus disappears from the Bible at the age of 12. 12. Right? He goes to Egypt, which mm. is a known fact. You can go to Egypt to the house he lived in. You, I go there every year yeah. to study the Egyptian mysteries. From who? This guy. This, the Egyptian mysteries schools that he set up back then mm. persisted until that era, and that were, that's where he learned his knowledge, his wisdom. He then left there, went to Tibet to learn uh, healing with the hands, Reiki and Qigong, and he mm. to, to India to learn mystic arts, mm. <clears throat> and was teaching reincarnation the whole way back. Mm. He reappears in the Bible at the age of 33, uh, 32, right? When he rides it on the back of a donkey. Mm -hmm. But the thing is, um, <laughs> interestingly enough, the words that Thoth is teaching in the Emerald Tablets mirror the words that Jesus is speaking in the New Testament of the Bible. Mm -hmm. And so, which came first, the chicken or the egg? Mm -hmm. So you have to realize what he is speaking is what he learned. It's, it's a teaching that he learned and he's regurgitating it mm -hmm. to the people of that era, of that time. And so it lets you know that his connection to the knowledge and the wisdom comes from both the Atlantean priest king. That's a tough one. Baby. Yeah. That's a tough one. I know. So a lot of people are going to be like, you know. They don't want to hear that. They don't. And, and, you know, you have with the Greeks, right, they had something going. They understood. We're talking about Greek philosophy, yeah. right? And when you look at, you know, Socrates, you look at Plato, mm -hmm. you know, they were on to something, but they didn't grasp it fully, right? They have what the Sumerians had, they didn't have what the Egyptians had, really. What was missing there? Was it just just know-how or what was going on in that? Well, situation? just a small few, like you're talking about Socrates and Plato and some of these others, they, they were a small group that had real high levels of knowledge. Mm -hmm. And they would have these adept meetings where they would only specifically invite specific people, small groups of people. They their information was turned into mythical information, right? Because at the... You see where I'm getting at, though, yeah, right? Mm -hmm. Right, right, yeah. In that era, in that time, they, the knowledge had come, kind of become disconnected from the original source. Mm -hmm. They were still seeking and learning, like Plato was still trying to ponder this whole story he heard about Atlantis. So you can see there was a disconnection in time between Atlantis, 
being well known mm -hmm. and now it having to be spoken by old men and sages mm -hmm. and the story to carry carry on by verbiage right mm -hmm. and so you realize that there was a certain amount of knowledge that was there still but a lot of it was still lost mm -hmm. there was a disconnection at some point between the knowledge and the wisdom from the ancient past and their ancient time which was for them current time they did their best to continue to teach, but they learned a lot from the land of Kemet and learned a, they learned a lot from the Egyptians. Mm -hmm. Matter of fact, when I went to uh, Australia by, right in 2019, right before the pandemic thing happened, mm -hmm. they, I went out to the, into the outback with the aboriginals and the elders, and they took me to this area where there's a makeshift Egyptian temple that was left behind for thousands of years. Okay. And in there are glyphs, proto-Egyptian hieroglyphs, which have been verified by the Board of Antiquities of Egypt. Hmm. They were going down to Egypt, according to them, to learn from the aboriginals, mm -hmm. to learn wisdom and knowledge and exchange sciences. Gotcha. So, you know, fast forward to the future, a lot of these things, um, at some point, there was a big disconnection, whether it could be extinction level events, um, whether it could be um, wars or whatever it was, mm -hmm. there was a period of time where a lot of knowledge was lost mm -hmm. and people were seeking to gain it, trying to recover some of what they had heard, mm -hmm. but there was definitely a hole. Where did this knowledge get lost? How did, how did it get lost? A lot of it was stolen. Mm -hmm. These wars would pop up, right? There'd be wars. And there would be hijacks of knowledge. For example, the Library of Alexandria. You heard about it burning down, right? Mm -hmm. Now, the Library of Alexandria, it did burn. Okay. But it was a say, book what? heist. Okay. So, where are those books now? The majority of those books, they're in the Vatican, underneath the Five Mile Archive, underneath the Vatican hmm. in Rome. That's where they are right now. That was how, a, how do you know this? Well, you know, I, I, or don't I, tell me I travel the world. <laughs> I can tell you this part. I travel the world a lot, okay. right? Just think about this. In the last two years, I've been around the world 11 times, 259 cities, mm -hmm. six months in hotels. Just last year alone, the year before, almost yeah, eight months in hotels. A lot of travel. Yeah. Been around the world almost 18 or 19 times now, complete total. Mm -hmm. I've sat with Bushmen, sages, wisdom keepers, guides, homegrown archaeologists. Mm -hmm. They know the real information. Mm -hmm. And you begin to put together a story that's so dynamic, and when they're telling you this stuff, they're even scared to tell you sometimes. Yeah. And they're not getting any money for this. There's no popularity. Nobody even knows their, their names. Yeah. Mm -hmm. These people are giving you real information, and you have to look at it. When you start analyzing what they're saying, and going back to the records and reading on the accounts, you start going, oh wow, I see this now. I see where this particular thing was a distraction here to steal this here. Mm -hmm. Back then, you couldn't even dock at Alexandria unless you brought knowledge with you. You had to bring books and knowledge or you couldn't even dock your boat. It was an ex pure exchange of knowledge. Mm -hmm. All of a sudden, there's this fire. Now, based on the fire and based on what was left behind, it doesn't account for the amount of books that were taken. Mm -hmm. So we know that was a heist. And so then you start looking in history, you start seeing anywhere where like, the Arabs came in to Egypt, mm -hmm. they took over Egypt. Mm -hmm. And that's why Egyptians speak Arabic now. Mm -hmm. That's not their language. Mm -hmm. They speak Arabic because they were slaughtered, killed, and murdered by Arabs. And Arabs took over and dominated the region, mm -hmm. forced them to speak their language. And guess what else they did? They burned and destroyed a lot of their records. They broke a lot of their tablets, a lot of their records. Mm -hmm. They defaced a lot of their quote-unquote Egyptian faces on the gods. When you go there, you see a lot of stuff chipped away. Yeah. They did a number on them. The Sphinx. And yeah. subjugated them. The Sphinx, Sphinx yeah. all that. That was not done by... You know, some people say, oh, white people don't want us to know that black people were in Egypt. No, this stuff was done long before mm -hmm. a white man ever stepped foot in Egypt. <laughs> and when you go to Egypt, you, no matter where you go, you'll see faces chipped away, ears chipped off, mouths yeah. chipped off, because this was under Akhenaten mm -hmm. and also a lot of the Arab rule. They mm -hmm. were defacing these things mm -hmm. on purpose. But the thing is, like, 
a lot of this knowledge was stolen because people wanted to hide the knowledge and be able to dominate over the people. So the Arabs came in, now they dominate the region. Right. Power. It's all power. It's yeah. a power struggle thing. And that's happened all around the world over and over again. Sure. Yeah. One of the most interesting topics that you probably have answered yeah. many a times, which was your encounter mm -hmm. with extraterrestrials. Yeah. Right? What was the first time, I know you were a young kid, mm -hmm. that you saw a UFO? Yeah. Um, what was that like? First time was 1977. We had just moved to Miami, Opelika. Mm -hmm. And we were renting this little house uh, right off of 22nd Avenue. Mm -hmm. I think it was 153rd Street. I'm in the backyard playing because, you know, there's nothing to do back then but play outside. You had to play outside. Yeah. And um, I'm outside playing, but we live next to the Opelika Airport. Mm -hmm. It's not too far away. So you could see the planes take off and they would go across the, the sky. Mm -hmm. Clearing the horizon in minutes, mm -hmm. right? So you can see a plane, you, you know, these small planes making a lot of noise, prop jets, you know, prop mm -hmm. planes, I mean. And then this one day I'm out there playing, I'm just doing cartwheels and flips and doing dumb stuff in the back. Mm -hmm. And this thing goes, Yeah across the sky, like literally in seconds. Mm -hmm. Now, even as a kid, seven years old, I know that's impossible for a plane. Mm -hmm. I'm like, wow. And then it came back and then it stopped, but it was much lower this time. Mm -hmm. It was oval, looked like glowing metal, glowing silver metal, mm -hmm. completely silent, no sound, and boop, just gone, gone. in the opposite yeah. direction. And I ran around the house, I ran in the house, I told my mother, she wasn't shocked. She said, yeah, the advanced beings can visit here all the time. Mm. This is in the 70s, my hmm. mother told me this. She told me, you gotta go to Machu Picchu because beings who used to live, ancient, uh, uh, not ancient, she said ancient advanced beings used to live on top of the mountains there, mm -hmm. which is why I dedicated this book to her. And I talk about that in the beginning of the book. Yeah. But, so, I went to the elementary school the next day, Rainbow Park Elementary, mm -hmm. which is right down the street, yep. and I asked my teacher if I could go to the library. She said, what for? I said, I need to look in the encyclopedia for a book report for my parents. And I said, oh yeah, no problem, go ahead. So she sent me to the library. I go in there and I get the Encyclopedia Britannica's on aerospace. <laughs> I'm looking for what I saw. Yeah. Swept wing, delta wing, ballistics, intercontinental ballistics. I'm looking at what back then would have been, you know, top secret stuff that had been now declassified, like the SR-71 and all this other stuff, and I don't see anything even close to what I saw in my backyard. Mm -hmm. But that took me down a whole path of investigation into aerospace, mm -hmm. and I kind of became an aerospace historian because of that. Yep. Um, fast forward into the future, years and years and years later, I'm working on this huge project out in, um, it's, it's in Northwest Georgia. I can't give the exact location. It was on the History Channel, but the location even on the History Channel wasn't given up because mm -hmm. it's the location of an underground city that I built. Yeah, that, yeah. we can get into that. Yeah, it's we'll called go. Fort Terranova. So the reason why I'm bringing it up because at yep. the time that I'm building this underground city, mm -hmm. I'm, you know, these TV companies are calling me and everything. They want to know what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. And I have this encounter. I'm thinking maybe it's connected. Maybe they saw what I was doing and maybe you know, that triggered. I don't know what it was. I'm sure. trying to figure out what, why me and why at the time. Yeah. I'm in my house after working on that project all day again. I'm looking at ESPN getting updates around 9 o'clock p.m. I'm not even close to tired. Mm -hmm. My whole family's at home. At the time, I was married and had kids in the house. And... Um, the house, while I'm looking, the house just kind of turns lavender. It's mm -hmm. like, ooh, and the TV just shuts off. Mm -hmm. And I thought my boys were playing a joke on me, so I looked over my left shoulder, mm -hmm. and there was nobody upstairs in that corner, which is where the boys are. Boys on one side, girls on the other. Mm -hmm. I'm like, what the hell? So when I turn my face back around, those typical gray aliens mm -hmm. were right in front of my face. Like, you know, the ones you see with the big eyes and all that. Yeah. The eyes, to me, I don't think they were biological. They look like... Um, 
coverings of some type. Okay. Uh, you know, they didn't look, they looked like material. Helmet, maybe, maybe like a helmet? It wasn't, I don't know. The, the like eyes, just the eyes themselves looked like they were <coughs> attached. It was weird. And sure. then slit for the eyes, slit for the nose and ears and all that. Long, dangly hands, long, dangly legs. I'm sitting in a chair, a couch. I'm sitting on a couch about maybe a little lower than this because it's, you know, a comfortable couch to watch TV. Mm -hmm. So they must have been maybe up six to four. So maybe they were close to four feet tall, mm -hmm. right? Um, but they were literally, because they were standing up and I was sitting down. Mm -hmm. And they were like within inches of my face. And then my brain literally started shaking inside of my skull. I was trying to scream, no sound was coming out. Mm -hmm. And nobody could hear anything. I couldn't even hear my own voice. And then as quick as it started, it stopped. And they turned around and they just, they don't walk, they kind of dangle, they kind of bounce. It was weird. I don't know if it's a, mm -hmm. they don't walk like we're walking. Yeah. It was almost like a dangle or a bounce. And they went through the wall, through the wall. And the lights came on, the TV came back on, and went running around the house. Yeah. And all it did was scare everybody. Yeah. My, my wife at the time was horrified and scared. She was already horrified about the stuff I was already researching it into because, you know, they come from a religious background with sure. the, uh, you know, uh, what do you call that, the Jehovah Witnesses and all that, her, yeah. parent, her my parents were. Mm -hmm. My, one of my sons, still to this very day, we really don't, aren't that close from that one incident and many other things that, you know, you see me researching and studying mm -hmm. and knowing what I do on, you know, on social media and stuff like that. He just, he, he, told, he said, I'm afraid. Mm -hmm. So I don't have a strong connection with him. Hey, that literally scared a lot of them. And I ended up, you know, it was, I was already on the way to a divorce, but that kind of was like, yeah. <laughs> it was the nail in the nail coffin. In the coffin yeah. So I got nothing out of it, um, made no money off of it, didn't talk about it for a very, very long time yeah. until other people started coming to me and telling me about their experiences mm -hmm. and then nobody would listen. And I realized if I start opening up, maybe other people can then feel comfortable opening up. True. And it started this process. Because in the colored community, man, blacks and colored people, people of different color, you know, talking about UFOs and stuff is like, man, yeah. you're crazy. Yeah. That's yeah. like one thing you don't do, yeah. right? Lead up to the white people. No. <laughs> <laughs> so if it came from a white person, it'd be like, oh, it's normal. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Billy's just doing his thing. He's but, telling you, <laughs> but you know, it came from black people, man, are you crazy? I'm crazy, yeah, yeah. I mean, I've had people attack me for it, you know, in the beginning, but now, a lot more people of color are starting to come around mm -hmm. and start to realize, oh, wait a minute, I can't openly talk about this and not feel ashamed or feel embarrassed or feel crazy. Mm -hmm. So that's why I came out with the information. That's mm -hmm. something that happened to me. Now, what the side effect of that was two things. The first thing was, after it happened, mm -hmm. the phrase worldwide telescope kept burning in my brain over and over again. Worldwide telescope, worldwide telescope, over and over, thousands and thousands of times. Really? So finally, I go to my computer and I pull up uh, uh, Excite.com, because Google wasn't the main one back then. It was Excite mm -hmm. or Alta Vista. Mm -hmm. And I type in Worldwide Telescope. Boom, search. First result, WorldWideTelescope.org pops up. I'm like, oh my God, mm -hmm. it's a real thing. I click on it, it's software you can install. All the space probe data from all the missions that have gone into space are in this thing that all of our tax dollars are paid for and all the public access it's all there. Yeah. So I go and I log in. I go, okay, I don't know. Um, I see Mars. I click on Mars. I go, oh, panoramas. I click on panoramas. The next thing pops up is Spirit Opportunity Rover. I go, I click on uh, Opportunity Rover. I go in. I zoom in. Unless you zoom in from like the, the perspective of the mast cam that's on the rover. Uh -huh. I zoom in and I'm panning left and right and I see things that don't look like they belong on Mars. Mm. Anomalies. Things that shouldn't be there like broken things or things that look like pieces of like, uh, machinery or something. Yeah. And I'm looking and I'm looking, I'm like, what the hell is this? Mm -hmm. So I go back out, I research this thing, I find, oh, this is real space probe data. I go back in again and I go through every single panorama, I start finding anomalies all over the place. 
that's how I got into space anomaly hunting, looking on Mars, that also then triggered some of the things I was seeing look similar to structures on Earth from ancient civilizations. Mm -hmm. So I said, wait a minute, this structure, the, these blocks are made the same way? Mm -hmm. That took me deeper into ancient civilizations to the point where I then okay. made a de dedicated my life to traveling the world nonstop to yeah. go to all these sites in person. It, it, did you feel like that? I mean, obviously, it took you over the edge from you know what you've known through books yeah. to actually going there. How important is it to actually go to the spot? You can't even put it in words. Mm -hmm. When you're there in person, looking at the Great Pyramid, for example, you're standing right at the base, looking up at this two million block structure. Mm -hmm. You're like, wow. A photo can't capture it. A video can't capture it. Mm -hmm. I can put my hand on it. I can take my compass and put my compass next to some of the stones and see my compass start spinning like crazy. It's like, this ain't Google, this is real life now. Yeah. It's another level of experience that you just can't put, a, you know, put words into. And that's why I take people there every year. You know, last year I took 70, this year I'm taking 140 at two different tours. Yeah. So people can experience what's there. Where are you going? October. Yeah. Damn, I gotta see. October. I do, I do need to go out there though. Yeah, you gotta go. I got, a, I got, a, I got a fighter that's from, that's from Saudi. Ah. And he's he actually he lives in Egypt and he's from Saudi. Okay. So I yeah. was like, man, go out there. Yeah, yeah. You I'd like to do something, do That's something. Amazing, man. Yeah, amazing. Definitely. I take people on VIP. When I when we show up at Giza, oh yeah, everybody has to leave. The, the military clears out all tourists. Everybody has to go. <laughs> yeah. We go into the Sphinx enclosure. Everybody out. Everybody from the top row that looking down into it, you got to leave. You can't see what we're doing. Mm -hmm. It's all VIP access. We go underneath the pyramids. We do all mm -hmm. kinds of stuff. They're crazy stuff that nobody else can do. Talk about the Giza pyramids real quick. Yeah. Like, what, what's so significant about that and why is it so important? Well, the Giza pyramid plateau, the Giza plateau has a lot of pyramids, by the way. Yeah, a yeah. lot. Okay. A lot of people don't know that there's more than just the three that you see in the, most of the pictures. Okay. But what's interesting is the, that area of Giza is a giant star map. I, d I discovered this. Okay. I started looking at an aerial view of the, of the uh, Giza Plateau and where the pyramids and the ancient temples were that are all lined up and how their alignments are. Mm -hmm. And I started connecting them with, uh, with circles. And I started realizing, wait a minute, this looks like a, a NASA interplanetary map of Mercury, uh, Venus, Earth, and Mars, and the sun in the middle. Mm. So I said, okay, let me take it further. Let me create a diagram of this to scale. Mm. And let me go to NASA and download the image that I've been studying from astrophysics for years and download that image. And you put them together, they match up perfectly, right down to the astronomical unit, the AU. Wow. So Giza is a star map of the, mm. or a planetary map of the inner solar system, I should say, mm -hmm. with one star, our, our, our sun. The other thing is the Great Pyramid is a multifunctional stone computer. Mm. It has many functions. One is power generation. It generates wireless electricity. Back when the Nile used to run right up under the Great Pyramid, it's moved and meandered away now from the wars that have happened. It's not gone away because of what they tell you. It happened because of wars mm. that destroyed the area, decimated the area. Mm. But when it ran up under it, running water underneath magnetized crystal granite creates physiostatic electricity. Okay. Those ions rush up into the pyramid. Mm -hmm. They go up to the Grand Gallery where there were resonating rods, which have been taken out, but you can see the slots where the rods were, mm -hmm. up the Grand Gallery into the King's Chamber where the power stepped up again and then transmitted up through the apex and broadcast as a wireless energy. The obelisks that are around the area mm -hmm. are made of crystal granite. Even though they look like just bare bone stone, they're not. Yeah. They're actual magnetized crystal granite obelisks. They wow. pick up the frequency Mm -hmm. And if you have something called a jet, which looks like a Tesla coil connected to a, a wire, which they have hieroglyphs of these jets, 
Okay. You can pick up the ambient wireless power and you can actually power light bulbs, which you can see on hieroglyphs that we've taken people to see. Mm -hmm. You can power uh, gold plating uh, machinery and all this other stuff that they had back then. They had a lot of electricity back then. So did, because Nikolai Tesla comes to mind when I think mm -hmm. about this. Yeah. Did he understand this? He think? said he had cracked the secrets of the ancient Egyptians. He had realized how the Great Pyramid worked, mm -hmm. how engineering-wise it was a power generator, at, at least that's just that one thing, mm -hmm. and he was able to duplicate that with his Wardenclyffe tower that he built. Mm -hmm. And he generated wireless electricity that could go around the entire planet. Mm -hmm. With one tower, he was gonna build this system of towers. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, and and uh, J.P. Morgan, mm -hmm. who was funding this whole thing, realized, oh, this is free electricity? Mm -hmm. And when he found it was free, yeah. he then had the whole thing destroyed. Do you think that he had Tesla destroyed as well? Uh, well, Tesla, you know, he destroyed him financially. Mm. He they turned him into a crazy tinfoil wearing kook. He was the saying. greatest man on the planet. Yeah. And uh, they, they destroyed him financially. He died poor and broke in a hotel. Yeah. yeah. You know? And then most of his findings or most of his studies and everything else were lost. Yeah, a lot of the military came in. Uh, Three-letter agencies came in, so to speak, and took a lot of his work and his, yeah. a lot of his, uh, his writings and so forth. That's crazy. Took them away to reproduce them for themselves and weaponize them. Yeah. I thought you interesting tidbit that nobody knows. Yeah. Of course. One of Nikola Tesla's greatest inventions, mm -hmm. theoretically, that he had written out. He had later he didn't actually physically make it yet, but it was his scalar weapon. I heard of this. Yeah. He expand on that a little bit. Though? So the scalar weapon is a specific type of a frequency beam that can be used to not only to detect objects flying around, like a high level form of radar, yeah. but it can also be focused at something and destroy it. All right, so he Weapon, had this for up weapons. A real weapon. He was going to make it into a satellite that was going to be able to focus a beam from space, and that way, with a war like that, with a, with a weapon like that, there would never be any war because you could be destroyed at any moment. So just listen uh, to what we got to say. That was his thinking. Was bad thinking, actually. Mm -hmm. However, the U.S. government did get a hold of those papers because they created a scalar weapon, mm -hmm. but they turned it into not a weapon first, a form of radar. Mm -hmm. Now, in 1947. The famous Roswell incident when the UFO crashed. It was actually more than one UFO that day, actually, it was two. They never talked about the second one. They were using this scalar radar to track these things. Mm. By accident, they discovered that the scalar beam disorients these UFO craft. It does something to the navigation system and brings them down. Mm -hmm. So then, when they realized that, then they began to target these UFOs with the scalar, which they're still doing to, to this very day to bring them down so they can capture these craft and reverse engineer them. That's how we have the whole reverse engineering program that's going on and has been going on to reverse engineer UFO technology. And that's not me saying this. The Pentagon already said, we are in possession of vehicles not of this world. Uh, the Pentagon says this, not Billy Carson. Mm -hmm. So don't say if this guy's crazy. Yeah. This is official press releases and we've been they've been reproducing these things or re reverse engineering these things for a very long time yeah. they're called ARVs alien reproduction vehicles how can we utilize this knowledge that we get so what's important to understand is people say man you got so much information like what is, what good is it to me yeah you know? yeah well you see the past is prologue mm -hmm. what's happened in the past it's going to continue to happen in the future until somebody comes along and stops it mm -hmm. we're in the big cycle of rise and fall of civilization in the, my book the Compendium of the Emerald Tablet, both talks about the fact that he's watched civilizations rise and fall. But nowhere have I ever read that we have to continue to fall. I talk, it talks about the cycles. Mm. It talks about how civilizations rise and the reasons behind their rise and the reasons behind the collapse. Mm -hmm. But it never says nowhere that it has to be that way. Mm. 
The secret, the ultimate secret, the ultimate mystery is how do you rise and sustain a golden age? Mm -hmm. You can only do that based off the knowledge of the past, the knowledge of what's going on, the knowledge of the systems that we're in, the matrices that we're living in, mm -hmm. and the control systems that we're living under. And how do we break free from that? We have to learn about all of it. We have to be awoken from our deep sleep to understand exactly what's going on mm -hmm. so we don't re re repeat the, the errors of the past and also that we stop what's going on right now on this planet and take back control and our sovereignty on this planet. Mm -hmm. Eight billion people right now are being controlled by less than 100 people. Eight billion are letting less than 100 men tell them what to yeah. eat, think, hear, taste, touch, see, feel. Mm -hmm. That has to stop. And until that stops, we're going to continue this rise and fall mm -hmm. of civilization. We must stop that and we must understand where we came from and how to make a better future for ourselves. There's a lot of talk of the Matrix nowadays, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. even with the movie and everything else and how it all kind of correlates and everybody yeah. sees it. How oh, can yeah. one escape the Matrix? Do yeah. they do that through learning and understanding and getting this knowledge, yeah. this forbidden knowledge? Right. You do that by being born again, mm -hmm. see? And born again in religion is going to a, a place or building and getting dumped in some water or going to the beach and letting somebody toss you under the water. That's not being born again. Mm -hmm. That's just an illusion. Being born again, according to the Bible, not according to Billy Carson, according to the Bible, is you must escape the matrix. That's in the Bible five times. The matrix, read that the, name, the name the matrix, it's in numbers. The name the matrix comes from the Bible. Mm -hmm. It's talking about coming out of the womb into an awakening. Sure. Okay? So being, escaping the matrix is about being born. Born from where? Born from a lower level of consciousness to a higher level of consciousness to where you can look back on your previous self and realize where you came from. Mm -hmm. And so how do you escape the matrix? You have to be born out of the, out of the Bible, it's out of the womb. Mm -hmm. The womb of darkness, the womb of the deep sleep, the womb of the coma that we're in mm -hmm. to be awakened to understand what's really going on out here. Mm -hmm. And then when you, when you get to that level, then you now have, you have escaped the matrix and you can look back. You can always go back to visit, mm -hmm. but you know, how to, you know how to find your way back out again. Mm. That correlation in that movie makes a lot of sense now. Oh yeah. <laughs> Neo, neocortex. Yeah. What's responsible for higher reasoning and consciousness? Mm -hmm. The neocortex of sure. the brain. His name mm -hmm. is Neo. I mean, it's all... <laughs> Morpheus? Morpheus. Morpheus. So Morpheus is a pretty interesting name because if you go into some of the ancient texts, uh -huh. you discover a name very similar to Morpheus. And this was like an ancient wisdom keeper and a sage. Okay. That all, you know, um, you have the fourth dimensional cube, which yeah. is the, 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 the um, tesseract. Tesseract, yeah. But if you look at like uh, the Transformers, mm -hmm. they have all spark, uh, yeah. which is the fourth dimensional cube, which yeah. is responsible for life. Yep. You know, so Metatron, that mm -hmm. cube is also called Metatron, but in the, in the movies it's called, he's called Megatron. Uh -huh. He's evil, but the cube is divine yeah. in real ancient wisdom see how they play on the yeah you see yeah. it's i mean i can go on and on and on <laughs> no, we can't we can't for a little bit <laughs> all right i want to talk to you off air yeah. but uh definitely get listen and woke right there's a different it's almost like a negative connotation to woke nowadays yeah i know they switched it up on us again more yeah. wordplay exactly yeah explain that a little bit more and then yeah. also make sure you get the book and also get compendium of the emerald tablets too as well but uh Last one. Yeah. Woke. So when I wrote that book, uh, the word woke wasn't being abused by polytricksters. Mm -hmm. It was talking about being awakened, being an awakened individual, being an individual. It's a cool way of saying, look, I'm spiritually awakened. I, I'm aware of myself. I'm, I have knowledge of self. Mm -hmm. And I can teach as well, you know. But now they've taken it and hijacked it into all this other crazy stuff with pronouns and all this other foolishness. Yeah. Um, but what that book is about was 
people were starting to criticize me when they just started discovering that I wasn't this broke, poor pauper living in like a, a hole in a wall, sitting in a robe and slippers on a prepaid phone making memes. <laughs> they got angry. Yeah. I'm like, dude, I've been rolling like this. Yeah. I mean, look me up. I've been rolling like this for a long, before you were, some of these kids weren't even born yet, yeah. or they were in diapers when I was already driving foreign whips and Rolls Royces and Mercedes Benzes and living in mansions and flying on private jets. So. You know, one well, you know, people started seeing me more and more and more. They would see me sitting in these fancy cars. And they, oh, you're just trying to show off. No, I'm not trying to show off. Mm -hmm. Then the connotation was, you shouldn't be able to teach and be and have nice things, or you're making money off of us. No, I made millions of dollars before internet even got to this level. Before Facebook even existed, I was already a millionaire. So yeah. I said, you know what? This whole broke teacher thing, this concept, I got to change this. This got to go away because if I'm teaching you the power of self. How how strong you are, how good your mind is, and how you can manifest abundance. And I'm walking around and I can't pay my light bill, I can't pay my payment, my my mortgage or my rent. I'm getting kicked out of places. What what is that? So I said, not only is my proof in my pudding, I'm going to show you how I live, but I'm going to teach you how to get to where I got to. So I wrote the book. Woke doesn't mean broke. Mm -hmm. uh, this is a financial bible. You yeah. want a bible? That's your bible right there. It it really is, honestly. Six hundred eighty-eight pages yeah, I think of financial wisdom that I've gained over many decades. Now, so it says I, I'm at one ninety, but I go yeah. back and read. Right? So there's there's things I'll, I'll make notes of, yeah. you know. And yeah. it really is a lot of good information in there. Um, I don't like to call like hacks. I hate that word, yeah. but but there is some tools and tricks that you. I'm going to shortcut you. Look, yeah. you can go the long way around, mm -hmm. or you can use the Einstein Rosen bridge and go through the wormhole. It's up to you. I love it. I love it. Where can they find you if they're looking for more information? Everything for. With the number four, Forbidden Knowledge, ForbiddenKnowledge.com, Forbidden Knowledge on social media, Forbidden Knowledge on any platform you can find that exists. Mm -hmm. I'm on there as Forbidden Knowledge. Spotify too, as well. Spotify, yes, yeah. got a lot of music on Spotify. I listened to the meditations mm -hmm. uh, and his whole Spotify list when I drive Thank down you. here. I'm, appreciate I get it. an hour drive, so I get a yeah. lot in there. Wow, appreciate it. Thank you, man. Oh, no doubt, Thanks man. So I appreciate much, it. Thank hey, you so thank much. Thank you, brother. All right. See you guys next time.